This year, we're finally going to get Christmas right. If it's not Jesus, it's got to go. Would that really get us to focus on the reason for the season? We might find it easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The point of Jesus' birth was to bring God into humanity. What if we were able to see Jesus in all the traditions? The first Christmas was about God with us. Let's make this Christmas about us with God. See the joy of Christ in our kids' laughter. The love of Christ with our family. The heart of Christ in the gifts we give. The provision of Christ in the meals we share. as we decorate our homes, the wonder of Christ in the songs we sing, the hope of Christ in the quiet moments we share. Because when we see Jesus, we are getting Christmas right. How many of you love Christmas lights? All right, that's, that's the majority of us. Some of you hate them. I didn't say putting them up, looking at them. How many of you like looking at them? I hate putting them up, which I don't. Uh, I was going to do the roof line this year. My girls decided to do it for me. And I was like, praise God, because I didn't have to get up there and do it. So they, it's bigger and better at our house every year as well. Rachel just loves Christmas lights. Well, the first year we were here was 1995. We moved to Palestine and Caleb was a baby. The first Thanksgiving we went through, um, he, was, he was about 10 months old and Janie and I were very, very poor at the time. So what we used to do when there were carnivals in town, when he was a baby, we would go to the carnival and have cookies and milk. We wouldn't tell him that you're supposed to get out. And he would just, ooh, ah, he thought it was the greatest thing. I said, this is awesome. Then he grew up and that didn't work anymore. Um, but we used to go look at Christmas lights. The first year, right after Thanksgiving, we said, we don't have any money. We got a little gas money. We're going to go around and look at Christmas lights. And none of you suckers had any up. And I said, Palestine sucks. There is no Christmas spirit here in Palestine. You got better later, but, uh, but I still haven't forgiven you. I'm a little bit bitter about that. Um, we went to see my parents a month later in Borger, Texas, which is up in the panhandle. And we went to the rich side of town and man, it was spectacular. Caleb's riding back there in his car seat and it was awesome. 11 months old. So he couldn't really speak, but every light, there could be one single light. There could be 800 lights. Ooh, ooh. And one of my favorite memories is the dude could not say Christmas lights. He said, Christmas lights, Christmas lights. We still talk about that today. Um, we had a blast for an hour. Ooh, Christmas lights. You know, he's just having this great time. Well, I mentioned that because on Thursday of this uh, past week, December 7th, was the birthday of two special people in my life. Go ahead and put that picture up there. There's my beautiful wife and my beautiful grandson, Waylon. 
Uh, Waylon is awesome. We get to watch him uh, in in January for for about a week, and we, we oh it's anyway um, it's a good thing. So here's what I can't wait. Waylon is a year old, and in in 11 days from today, we're going to to Rangers Ballpark, and they're going to have something there called Enchant. It is billed as one of the largest, if not the largest, light shows, Christmas light shows in the world. There'll be vendors outside. There'll be all kinds of stuff inside. I can't wait to hear what Waylon says. He's not even talking. Yeah, he's walk. He's 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 not walking. He's he's you know he's, but I know he's going to be mesmerized. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to spend my whole time showing him stuff and looking at his face because lights are awesome. Well, think about the very first Christmas. Lights were a big thing that night. Now, if you go back in the in the to, at the beginning, the very first command in Genesis, God said, is "Let there be light." And if you go into the New Testament in First John chapter uh, one verse five. God is light in him and there is no darkness in him at all. If you read the, the book of Revelation, you'll find out that when, the, when Christ followers go to heaven, it says we won't need the sun, the moon, and the stars because God is light. He lights up everything himself. That's gonna be pretty cool. And Jesus told us the reason he came the very first Christmas when he said this in John 12, 46. He said, I have come as a light. It's a capital L because we're talking about Jesus Christ himself. I have come as a light, the light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. He's talking about spiritual darkness. And Jesus came to teach us what God was like. And in fact, the Bible says, if you've seen, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father in heaven. He is the exact representation of the unseen God. And when he would teach us about his, his truth and about God, he would often say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means understand. That means discern what I'm saying. Well, I'm gonna echo that today. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what God says to us today but I want you to also, I want to, I want to add the term, he who has eyes to see, let him see, because there is something in the unseen world that I'm going to show you today. Most of you have heard the traditional Christmas story. You know about the, the shepherds, you know about the manger, you know about the wise men. Well, today I'm going to talk to you from something in the book of Revelation that's going to add some details to that story. But the traditional story is what we can see and understand from our five senses. This is the not traditional story of Christmas, and you can't see it except spiritually as God reveals it to you. So let's jump in. We're gonna read 17 verses from uh, Revelation chapter 12. If you have your, your U version, you can follow along there. If you have your Bibles, take some notes because you're, you're probably gonna to wanna to remember this uh, in the future. Just, I like to write down notes. Anytime I learn something, I want it in my Bible so that I don't have to look for it next time. All right, let's get after it. Now I'm gonna read all this. There's gonna be uh, words in yellow that we're gonna come back and talk about, but I'm gonna read it all first. And then a great wonder appeared in heaven. A woman was clothed with the sun and the moon was under her feet and a crown of 12 stars was on her head. She was pregnant and cried out with pain because she was about to give birth. Then another wonder appeared in heaven. There was a giant red dragon with seven heads, seven crowns on each head. Kind of sounds like, you know, some Marvel or DC comics, right? Um, you should read your Bibles because there's some good stuff in there. Um, there was a giant red dragon with seven heads and seven crowns on each head. He also had 10 horns. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and threw them down to the earth. He stood in front of the woman who was ready to give birth so that he could eat her baby as soon as it was born. He's the bad guy. Then the woman gave birth to a son who will rule all the nations with an iron rod, uh, with an iron rod, there it is. And her child was taken up to God and to his throne. The woman ran away into the desert to, pl to a place God prepared for her where she would be taken care of for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Then there was war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but the dragon was not strong enough and he and his angels lost their place in heaven. Then the giant dragon was thrown out of heaven and it tells us who the dragon is. He is the old snake called the devil or Satan who tricks the whole world. The dragon with his angels was thrown down to earth. Then I heard loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. The accuser of our brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters are believers uh, in Christ. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuse them day and night before our God has been thrown down and our brothers and sisters defeated him by the blood of the lamb's death and by the message they preach. Now, I put testimony in there because some of you know this from a different translation. Um, I'm, I'm reading the New Century version, but, but other translations say testimony. Here's the deal. Testimony is what you have been through. So it says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There has to be a, a substitute for you because you and I are sinners. We can't go into a perfect place. If God let us into his perfect heaven, it would no longer be perfect. So somebody who's perfect has to pay my penalty, your penalty for us to get in. They're buying the ticket for us so that we can get into heaven. It's the blood of the lamb. Jesus Christ is the lamb. You remember John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. By his blood, we overcome our sins and our bondage. But then the testimony, every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ has a sermon that they can preach. It may not be a long sermon, but here it is. What was my life like before Christ? How did I meet Christ? And what difference does Christ make today? You have a sermon. That's your testimony. So he's saying that these people who overcame this dragon, the, the Satan, the devil, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. You do not get into heaven without Jesus Christ. You do not get into heaven without asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. That's the blood. And then you overcome by the testimony of of what his blood has done, how he has adopted you into his family. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid of death. So rejoice you heavens and all who live there. It's great in heaven. Look what it says, but it will be terrible for the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with anger. Why? Because he's been kicked out of heaven because he knows he does not have much time. When the dragon saw he'd been thrown down to the earth, he hunted for the woman who had given birth to the son, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the desert. There she would be taken care of for three and a half years away from the snake. The snake poured out water out of its mouth like a river toward the woman so the flood would carry her away, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that came from the mouth of the dragon. Then the dragon was very angry with the woman and went off to make war against all her other children who are other children, those who obey God's commands and have the message Jesus taught. Now there's a whole bunch of opinions about revelation. There's a lot of symbolism in revelation. I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm going to get into some things that are, that are not disputable about this passage. I want you to understand those things that are very, very clear, but I don't want you just to understand them. I want you to ask, so what? So what does it mean for me? Yes, this is what the passage says. What does it mean? for me. That's where we're going today. So the first thing is I want you to see the wonder. The word wonder means sign. If you're driving to Corsicana and you get on 287 and you get to the first sign that says Corsicana, however many miles, do you get out and celebrate? Woo, we made it to Corsicana. Only if you're an idiot, um, because you're not there. It's a sign pointing the way. So this was a sign pointing to something else. A wonder is a sign that says, hey, pay attention. God's about to show you something. The woman, many people um, thought it was Mary. It is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. The woman is referring to Israel, the nation of Israel. Some folks think the woman represents the church, but, but Jesus birthed the church. The church didn't birth Jesus. So the only thing that makes sense in this passage is that the woman is the nation of Israel itself. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, the son is born, Jesus, 
and he's immediately taken to heaven and we don't hear about the 33 years that he was alive on this planet. Personally, I think it's because we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to tell us that story of Jesus walking the earth. This isn't talking about the 33 years of history. This is talking about all of history from the beginning of time until Jesus Christ reigns again. So it's giving us what's going on in the heavenly realms. The second great wonder, the dragon is Satan. We know that we're told that in verse nine. He's that old snake called the devil or Satan who tricks the whole world. Now, don't get caught up in the image of a dragon. That's not, we're not worried about what the dragon looks like. We're not saying that that's what he looked like. It's, it's a description of what he is like. The dragon wants to destroy. Have you ever seen, well, uh, I don't know. I started to say, have you ever seen a, a dragon that was nice? But most dragons aren't, regardless of whatever cartoon movie you've seen. Um, most dragons aren't nice. They, they represent evil. And so he is evil in everything he is. He's a serpent. The Bible calls him a serpent, calls him a deceiver, calls him an accuser. Now, there's all kinds of attempts to figure out what the crowns mean, the, the seven heads and the crowns and all that. Let's just say this. Let's just say that he has power because Jesus Christ said that Satan is the prince of this world. He's the God, lowercase g, of this world. And the God of this world spends all of his time trying to blind the minds of non-believers so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Christ. So he has authority in this world. That's where we're going with that. That's what you need to remember. Now, um, the tail sweeping through the heavens and taking down a third of the stars that seems to indicate when, when Satan tried to overthrow God, he was thrown out of heaven. There were others who rebelled with him. One third of the angels rebelled with him and they were all cast out of heaven. They had no power. They could not overcome God. It ticked them off. So Satan now is very real in this world and the demons, the one that they used to be angels, they're fallen angels. We call them demonic beings. I do not believe in ghosts. There is no such thing as ghosts, but there is something called a demonic a demon and there is demonic activity that is very real in this world why do i believe it because jesus christ said it he was real he lived we know that he died on the cross we know that his tomb was empty jesus christ talked about demonic power he cast out demons so you don't have ghosts you do have demons and they're hacked off because they've been defeated already now, as soon as the child was born, Satan tried to destroy him. Now, I want you to think about this. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis because in the book of Genesis, we know that God created Adam and Eve, two, two people, and we know that God said, don't eat, of, uh, you can have everything in the garden except this one tree, do not eat of it. Eve was deceived and then God came down because she was deceived, because Adam was deceived. God came down and he pronounced judgment on Eve, the woman, actually on man too, and on the serpent. And, and let, me, let me read, this is actually Genesis. Now I can't, I can't bring myself to, bring, to throw away my Bible that my brothers gave me when I was in eighth grade. So like Genesis one and two are still attached and then Genesis three through nine, this is one of them. So this, I'm reading to you, this is Genesis from my Bible at home and, and, and it's awesome except when they get blown off and they're out of order. So, but anyway, this is Genesis three. Here's what God says to the serpent after he deceived Adam and Eve. He said, because you have done this cursed, are you more than all cattle? So he's cursing the, the serpent and more than every beast of the field on your belly shall you go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and woman. He says, you're, you're going to have strife. You're going to have war. You're going to have uh, problems. You and woman the woman are going to have problems because of this interaction, because she disobeyed me for the rest of eternity. You will have problems with them between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So what he's saying is there's going to be some people that come from this woman who are going to follow God, but there's also going to be some people who come from this woman who do not follow God. And not only are you going to have problems with God, if you're not a Christ follower, you're going to have problems with other people. That's what he's saying here. 
He shall bruise, and now he talks about a seed, and he said, between your seed and her seed, and he, capital H, talking about Jesus Christ, there's gonna come one who will bruise your head. So if you think about a snake and you think about stepping on its head or chopping its head off, that's, that's the ultimate damage. And he's saying, there's gonna come one from this woman who's going to defeat you once and for all. And then he says, you shall bruise him on the heel, meaning, you know, like a snake can bite you on the heel. And most of the time you're not going to, you're not going to die. You may go through some pain, but what he's saying is you're going to be able to give, he's saying to Satan, the the serpent, you're going to cause some pain for this seed of mine, Jesus Christ. But ultimately he's going to wipe you out to the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. You shall desire, your, yet, you, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the idea is at the beginning, um, when Satan was cast out of heaven, he couldn't do anything more to God. So what he decided to do was, was attack something that was dear to God. Adam and Eve were made in God's image. And so Satan couldn't do anything to God. So he was going to attack something that God loved, Adam and Eve. So if you know the story, you know that they had two children, Cain and Abel. Satan stirred up Cain, the older, to kill his younger brother, thinking that he was going to do major damage for all eternity to God's plan. But then you you read that, that Eve had another son named Seth, and his name actually means appointed one. There was a substitute for the son that had been killed. Satan tried to mess it up. God, God wouldn't allow him to. Um, God's, you, you know that, that eventually people got so wicked, Satan stirred up so much wickedness that God destroyed the entire world with a flood, but he saved Moses and his family. Um, you, if you know any story of the Old Testament, you know that there were two sons, Jacob and Esau born, and God loved Jacob. He didn't love Esau. Esau tried to kill Jacob, but God said, no, I'm going to pr- protect Jacob because he's going to be in the line of Jesus Christ that's going to come down the road. Um, If you know the story of of Egypt, when Israel went to Egypt, Pharaoh tried to kill all of the Hebrew slaves, all the males. He said, we'll keep the women because we can assimilate them, but let's kill all the males. Moses was preserved. Um, In the days of Esther, she became a queen. She was a Jew and nobody knew she was a Jew. Even her husband, the king, did not know. And, and Satan stirred up one of, the ad, one of the advocates of the king and said, um, let's kill all the Jews, not just the boys. Let's kill them all because they refuse to worship you. God's plan was to deliver all of the Jews through Esther. And in fact, that guy and all of his family were killed on the, the gallows that he had, he had made for the Jews. Um, so here's the deal. The promised seed in Genesis three, Satan tries to wipe out for all of eternity, all of human history. But eventually Jesus is born and Satan is there. According to this, this passage, Satan is there waiting to destroy the baby Jesus, because you know that Herod killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus, but Jesus was protected. He was taken to Egypt by his father. And, and I was reading this yesterday and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize this, but I was reading this yesterday and I thought Satan is Wiley Coyote. No matter what he tries to do, he can't win. And imagine if, if because he thinks he wins later when he kills him on the cross, but imagine if, if Wiley Coyote finally gets the Roadrunner and the Roadrunner road comes back to life. Wiley Coyote's going to fall over dead because I finally, anyway, that's just me, sorry. <clears throat> Satan tempted Jesus to throw himself down from the temple. Jesus wouldn't do it. When Jesus went to his hometown and preached, the people tried to take him up to this hill and throw him off and kill him because they didn't like what he had to say. Janie and I stood on that hill and and if you go off that hill, you're going to die. Jesus walks through him. They take him up to kill him and he walks through because it wasn't his time. Another time the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders pick up rocks. They're going to throw big rocks at him and kill him. And the Bible says he walks right through them because it was not his time. 
But eventually it was his time and Satan nails him to a cross. Jesus dies and Satan thinks he won. Wiley Coyote, I finally got him. For three days, he thought he'd won. But then, oh no, the tomb is empty. And the Bible says Jesus resurrected to heaven and he, he now intercedes for us. He prays for us. Satan thought he won. He thought the cross was the end, but the cross ended up being Satan's worst nightmare because you do not, I don't care who you are, you will not foil God's plan. From the beginning, the dragon has tried to destroy this plan and God has ensured that it succeeds. Now, when Satan realized he couldn't do anything more to the physical body of Jesus Christ, you know what he did? He turned his attention on the spiritual body, which is the church. And he attacks us relentlessly because if he can cause us to stumble and fall, he can keep people out of the kingdom of heaven. Now, in verses seven and eight, there's a battle in heaven. And here's what I want you to know about that. When the battle gets more intense, spiritual battle, and it's gonna get more intense. Jesus said it was. The world is not getting better. It's not getting more moral. We're not getting kinder. We're getting worse. It's going to get more intense. It is a sign that this dragon, the devil, knows that his time is limited and he's gonna go nuts trying to destroy people's lives. Satan realizes he can't do anything to hurt Jesus' body because Jesus is in heaven. He realizes that he can't uh, uh, do anything to my soul. If you're a Christ follower, the Bible says that you're adopted into God's family. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Your soul is good. So what does he do? He will attack your physical body if you're a Christ follower because he can't do anything to your soul. And he will try harder and harder to blind people who are not Christ followers because he wants as many people suffering in hell with him as possible. Hell is not a party. Hell, Jesus said, will be a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is my opinion. I believe it's going to be a place of complete darkness, of intense heat. And I believe you will hear the cries and screams of other people. And somebody would say, oh, well, how can a good God send somebody to hell? He didn't. He prepared hell for Satan. And everyone who chooses to follow Satan instead of Jesus Christ, they are choosing hell, not choosing Christ. Don't ever say that God sent someone to hell. You choose hell when you reject his son. That's the message of the scripture. So he's going to attack our physical bodies. He's going to try to blind the minds of non-believers. And that sounds pretty bad, right? Right? So the Bible says we can overcome. How do we overcome? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> Verse 11 says they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb. We talked about this just a second ago. Now, I want you to understand, when, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. We fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. At the end of Revelation, it says that all of the armies of the world will, will gather in, in the Valley of Armageddon. Janie and I saw that too. It's just magnificent, and it's, it's huge. You can't imagine how big the Valley of Armageddon is. And it says that all of the battles, so they're going to have their tanks, they're going to have all of their weapons, all their physical weapons, and the Bible says Jesus is going to show up on a white horse. He's going to open his mouth, and it says, a sword comes from his mouth and the battle's over. It's, it's over before it began because the weapons he uses are not physical weapons. Look what it says. We fight with weapons that are different from the, those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. We destroy people's arguments and every proud thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. We capture every thought and make it give up to the glory of Christ. If you think that this Christian life is not a battle, you do not understand. If, and, and I don't want to make anybody mad, but if you're a pacifist, you're, you're not really a follower of Jesus because the Bible says that we are in a battle for people's souls and the dragon wants to destroy people. This is the battle of all battles. 
And so I was reading just yesterday and, and I came across um, a, a quote that, that a martyr, someone who gave his life for Christ in the year 407, John Chrysostom, here's what he says. Somebody who died for Christ, he says this. Oh, there it went. Turn pages without meaning to. And he said, you are but a poor soldier of Christ if you think you can overcome without fighting. And suppose you can have a crown without conflict. We are in a war. And the weapons that we have are not of this world. Look what James, the half-brother of Jesus said, when a believing person prays, great things happen. So we're, we're, if you're not praying, if you're not studying God's word, you are not in the battle. In fact, you're helping the enemy win. The victory won at the cross only comes to us in proportion to the amount of time we spend meditating on God's word and, and prayer. So we've been talking about this. We said this, this thimble represents your life compared to eternity. If you scoop up one little, little drop out of the ocean, that's how much your life represents in the scheme of eternity. If you want power to overcome Satan in the spiritual battles, it's only going to come in proportion to the amount of time you spend meditating, not just studying God's word, meditating on God's word. Meditating is, is going over and over and over again in your mind and in prayer. If you do not do that, your life is going to be filled with failure. But the Bible says God will pour his spirit into you. The Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. You only have that if you surrender to him and you spend time meditating on his word and in prayer. If you're not doing that, you will actually help Satan, God's enemy. I read something years ago. It says, who are you, who are you leading to hell? If you're not following Christ, you may be leading someone to hell. In the Christian life, you're either an overcomer or you're overcome. You are either a victim or a victor. God didn't save us to make a statue out of us. I've been, I've been studying the Old Testament. I started in Genesis. I'm now in Joshua chapter five and it's taken me 11 months to get there. I'm, I'm, I'm meditating, I'm studying, I wanna know. I have a little notebook. And one of the things that I keep reading in Deuteronomy, Moses is telling this, the generation that's about to go into the promised land, which is now Israel. It's what we, we see as Israel now. It was a little bigger back then. But anyway, Moses is telling this generation, remember what happened. Because they came out, they were all slaves in Egypt. They came out, God delivered them through the Red Sea, took them through the Jordan when it was um, at flood stage. And, and he says, remember, now he says this, and, and this just keeps coming back over and over. Probably a dozen times I've read this in the last six weeks. He brought us out, talking about God brought us out, talking about the Israelites. He brought us out that he might bring us in. The idea is God brought you out of slavery. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to darkness. You're a slave to sex. You're a slave to alcohol. You're a slave to power. You're a slave to money. When you give your life to him, God brings you out. He destroys the bondage, the, the chains that are holding you. We sing about that all the time. He's a chain breaker. God destroys those chains when you give your life to him. But he didn't bring you out just to destroy those chains. He brought you out to make you like Jesus and then to help you share Jesus with other people. We talked about this last week, our, uh, the last of our series uh, in the meantime. Um, unbelief says, when it gets hard, Satan says, oh, God's not, God's not true. You need to go back to where it's safe. You need to go back to bondage. You need to go back to your drugs, your alcohol, your sex, your power. You need to go back to money instead of trusting God. But belief, faith says, I'm going to take this little life of mine and I'm going to go wherever God is at work, even if it costs me my life. We'll come, we'll come to that in just a minute. 
Now, it's kind of cool to think about this. Satan was once one of God's highest angels and he was thrown down. As you pray, as you meditate on scripture, as, as God molds you and shapes you and you lead people to Christ, Satan is cast down out of heaven again and again and again and he doesn't like it because he can't, he can't fight God's power. Now, remember at the time of, of Jesus' death, uh, Satan was defeated by Michael in heaven, but I like what this commentator said. Michael is, is the is not the field officer who does the actual fighting. Michael is an angel. He's called the archangel, the only archangel in scripture, but the staff officer in the heavenly room who is able to remove Satan's flag from the heavenly map because the real victory has been won by Jesus on the cross. Michael doesn't really have to do anything because all he's doing is taking, oh, Satan had that. Nope, no more. He's defeated from what Jesus did. Now, there's some praise in heaven, and we're gonna talk about this real quick. The name devil means accuser and Satan means adversary. So he's the adversary of God and his children. Peter calls him a roaring lion. He says he goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat, just like the dragon did, looking to, to kill Jesus. Jesus called him a, a, a serpent, um, an accuser, an adversary from the beginning. So when Satan is cast out of heaven, all of heaven praises, yay, he's gone. And they praise God for four things, for salvation, for saving people from their sins, for the power of God, for the kingdom of our God and the authority of, of his Christ. And then you come to something called the martyr song. This is somebody who gave their life for Jesus. They're singing this song in heaven. And here's the deal. Since Jesus paid the price for their sins, they don't even have to, to worry about their life. They can give up their life for Jesus because if they die in the service of Jesus, the Bible says they win. That's, that's just amazing to me. It's a terrible thing to die if you're gonna spend eternity in hell, but it's not a bad thing to die if, you're, if your home is in heaven. Even though, though their lives are taken, they still win. They overcame Satan the same way you and I overcame Satan, four things. By the blood of the lamb, we talked about that. By the word of your testimony. Oh, and then this one. By your willingness to die for your faith. I think that's when some people turn away and say, I'm, I'm not willing to die for this stuff. Satan is not equal to God. He's not omniscient, which means he doesn't know everything. He's not omnipotent. Omnipotence means he has all power. Omnipresent means he's everywhere at once. Satan isn't those things. He's limited. He's defeated. The way we overcome is by tapping into the power who is omniscient, all-knowing, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, and who is omnipresent everywhere all at once. Heaven will rejoice when Satan is thrown out, but, but earth won't because it's going to be bad. So what? Okay, so what does it mean? What does all of this story mean? I'm glad you asked again. Anytime you were struggling, you need to remember that Satan has already been defeated. His power has already been defeated. My dad was in Guadalcanal in World War II and, and he was told before he got on the ship to go over there that, that the U.S. occupies Guadalcanal. He said, we did, but there were still pockets of resistance. So even though it was under U.S. Um, control, there was still some battles that they had to fight. And, and dad became a Christian when he jumped into a foxhole because they were being bombed by the Japanese. So it, even though they, it, was under, it was under the flag of, of the United States, there were still some Japanese fighting against us. And dad said it took a while to, to finally, even though they'd already won the big war, <laughs> it took a while to get rid of those pockets of resistance. That's what happens in your life. The Bible shows us that you can be victorious over the accuser and I want you to remember this. Jesus has already defeated Satan, and I want you to remember this too. Events on earth are always decided first in heaven. 
That's the revelation Christmas story is showing us this is already decided. It's gonna play it out in human uh, lives in, in the visible world. Now, I read this uh, parable. I was just going to read this to you real quick about this. It, maybe you'll understand better. A man loved to walk around the magnificent trees on his estate, but the man's enemy was constantly seeking ways to wound the heart of the owner. The enemy decided to cut down the most magnificent of the trees, but after toiling all night to cut it down, he became pinned underneath it. So he cuts down the ma magnificent tree. It falls on him. He is stuck. He's hacked off. He's dying. Um, look what happens. Uh, the enemy decided to cut it down, but after toiling all night, he became pinned beneath it. His hatred was so strong that when the owner came toward him, he jeered at him. The owner said, you thought to do me great harm, but I want to show you what you've done. Then he showed him the plans he had made to have that very tree cut down so that he could make a beautiful house among the magnificent trees. He held out the plans. Look at this. So you see the guy underneath. Look at this. You did me a favor. The tree upon which you have toiled all night and which is the cause of your death is the tree which must be cut down to make way for my magnificent house. Thank you for your service. You have worked for me without knowing it and your toil is for nothing and bitterness is your food and death. That's the story of Satan. He's been working for God from the beginning and he didn't even know it. Revelation 12 gives us another side of Christmas. It adds some details to the manger, to, to um, the baby Jesus, the star, the shepherds, and all that. So the question I have for you is, which is the real story of Christmas? Revelation or Luke? Both. They just come from different perspectives. The Luke story gives us the view from earth, what we can see with our senses. The Revelation story gives us details from the unseen world. <clears throat> Most of you are going to go through Christmas this year and you're not going to give a thought to the unseen world. But according to the scripture, we're in a battle and you never know what little things are going to mean in the kingdom of heaven. For example, Jesus in Luke chapter 10, he sent out his disciples two by two to cities that he was going to visit and they come back and they said, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, oh, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was thinking about that. Lightning doesn't fall gradually. Ow. And I got to thinking, what if every time we go to Haiti with Praying Pelican Missions, and we love on a child, and we tell them about Christ, what if Satan is cast out of heaven again and again and again? I get to be a part of a cosmic battle, and I'm already on the winning team. So you never know what a short-term mission trip will do in the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 15, we're told Jesus says that when one sinner, one person who is far from God, Ask Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of life. He says, there is this party in heaven. Let's say there's a million Christians. There's been a million parties in heaven. Every time one sinner says, I, I submit to Christ, there's this celestial party in heaven. You never know what one thing in the seen world, how it impacts the unseen world. Because we're just told that a baby born 2,000 years ago and laid in a manger change the course of history. So I want you to think about this. If God can take a manger, a feeding trough with, that has cow spit and, and sheep spit, and if he can take that and turn it into something that's a cradle for a king, do you think he can't use you? The message of Christmas is this. The manger is God's reminder that he takes the ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. 
This Christmas, I'm just going to skip that verse, Bobby. This Christmas, God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap between the unseen world and the seen world and pray and do anything they can to lead people into the kingdom of God. Are you going to be a part of that? Or are you going to do the same old thing you've always done? Don't miss the true meaning of Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and I ask you, God, to pour out your mercy on us today and there are some in this room who do not know you. I pray that today or soon they would step into the kingdom of God and become part of your army. And there are many of us, God, that we've forgotten the real meaning of Christmas and, and we live life as if this is all there is and, and that is wrong and please forgive us. God, help us to take seriously the unseen world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.